For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject our spiritual journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. This is part 10 of the series. When we seek to do the will of God, once we come out of Egypt, which is the world, the world's ways, the world system, when we accept Yeshua into our heart and our life by making Him Savior and Lord, when we then pursue living a holy life, consecrated and set apart to Him, the service of His kingdom, and to seek to do His will, He takes us to his promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 23, we see the purpose of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt was not just to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, which prophetically foreshadows salvation in Messiah. That wasn't the goal. That was just the beginning of the journey to the ultimate goal, which is the promised land, specifically Jerusalem or Mount Zion, which spiritually represents doing the will of God in our lives. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23, it is written, And he brought us out from there, that is the land of Egypt, that he might bring us in, that is the promised land, to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. So historically, we could see literally the nation of Israel was first saved by grace through faith. And after they were saved by grace through faith, then they came to Mount Sinai, where they were given instructions regarding how they were to live their lives on a daily basis to please the one who had already saved them by grace through faith. So after we are saved by grace through faith, we live out our salvation in Messiah by seeking to live a holy life. Since sin is the transgression of the law, holiness is following the Torah. So after Paul said in Ephesians 2.8 and Romans chapter 3 verse 28 that both Jew and non-Jew are saved by grace through faith, he asks this question in Romans chapter 3 verse 31. Do we, that means Jew and non-Jew, who are believers in Yeshua, who are saved by grace through faith, do we make void, that means to do away with, the Torah in being saved by grace through faith? Traditional Christianity teaches today that that is what Paul teaches. But Paul answers his own question and says, God forbid we do not make void the Torah because we're saved by grace through faith. God forbid we establish or we follow the Torah. So in Egypt, the children of Israel served Pharaoh. But in being redeemed from Egypt, the children of Israel were now going to come to Mount Sinai in, by receiving the commandments and instructions of the God of Israel for them. They were going to now live their lives in service to the one who redeemed them by grace through faith. 
So in Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, the God of Israel told Moses that when I bring my people out of Egypt, I'm going to bring them to this mountain, to Mount Sinai, and they will serve me upon this mountain. So in Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it is written, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the token, or the sign, unto you that I sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you will serve God upon this mountain. So, since the God of Israel instructed Moses that he brought his people out of Egypt so they will serve him on the mountain, which means they're going to follow and obey his Torah, his teachings, his instructions that he's going to give to them to show them how to live their lives on a daily basis unto him. From this, we can see how the children of Israel being at Mount Sinai, which is associated with the Feast of Pentecost, or Shavuot, that in one regard, Pentecost, or Shavuot, is the conclusion, or in Hebrew, the Atzeret, to coming out of Egypt, or Passover. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, it is written, And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a sign unto you that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you will serve God upon this mountain. So we see the link of the children of Israel being brought out of Egypt to serving God on the mountain. So the children of Israel in Egypt were serving Pharaoh, and they're redeemed from Pharaoh's authority, and now they're going to serve the God of Israel. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 55, it is written, For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants, who I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 1, it is written, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, in Israel, whom I have chosen. So let's summarize this part of the teaching. Number one, the nation of Israel was saved by grace through faith by putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Number two, after they were saved by grace through faith, they came to Mount Sinai and they were given commandments regarding how they were to live holy lives on a daily basis to the one that brought them out of Egypt. Number three, Pharaoh and his army drowned in the Red Sea. Spiritually, this represents that we are not totally free from Egyptian bondage, which spiritually is associated with a sinful lifestyle, until the death of Pharaoh's authority over our lives, meaning we don't get victory over sin until we crucify the flesh. And we can only crucify the flesh through the blood of Yeshua by the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit in us. We are not able to overcome the flesh in our own ability. Number four, we were redeemed from Egypt, which is the type of the world and the world system, to be servants of Yeshua and his kingdom, which means to follow his Torah and to keep his commandments and pursue living a holy life and being sanctified and set apart to his service in the service of his kingdom. So, as we have seen, that Pentecost, or Shavuot, is the conclusion of Passover. And given that the God of Israel told Moses that when he delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt, which was done by the putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, which is Passover, that you'll serve God upon this mountain, which is Mount Sinai. What is it that the God of Israel gave in the scriptures to link Passover to Pentecost? Or in Hebrew, Shavuot, which means weeks. The answer is the seven weeks of the counting of the Omer. So Pentecost or Shavuot follows the counting of the Omer, wherein we first have Passover unleavened bread. We count the Omer for seven weeks 
and then we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost or Shavuot. The commandment given by the God of Israel to count the Omer is in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 15 as it is written. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath from the day that you brought the sheaf and the word sheaf is the Strong's number 6016 in the Strong's Hebrew dictionary and it's the Hebrew word Omer. And an Omer is a sheaf or a tenth of an ephah. So you shall bring the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. In Exodus chapter 16 verse 36 we're told the following. Now an omer is the tenth part of an ephah. In the Talmud in Menahot 68b the rabbis further explain the understanding of this verse. It was interpreted that the word omer is a measure of grain and the rabbis also saw that it was to be brought of barley only. In the Bible, a sheaf represents a person. We can see this from Joseph's dream given in Genesis chapter 37 verse 5 and verse 7 as it is written. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren. And it entailed the following. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf, or bowed to my sheaf. So a sheaf can represent an individual, and the counting of the omer represents growing in spiritual maturity. We can see this from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 and 15 as it is written, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And this is literally what happened to the Omer in the process of it ultimately being beaten into fine flour. So being tossed to and fro is a reference to what happened to the Omer. Paul goes on to explain in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Messiah. So now let's look at the details of what was done with the Omer. It's described in the Mishnah in Menahot 10, 1-5. If the barley was ripe, it was taken from the vicinity of Jerusalem. Otherwise, it could be brought from anywhere in Israel. It was reaped by three men each with his own skith and basket. The grain was then brought to the temple where it was threshed or beaten, parched, spread on the courtyard floor to be dried by the wind, milled and ground into fine flour. So given that the omer was threshed or beaten, this spiritually represents walking in humility. In Isaiah chapter 41 verses 14 and 15 it is written, Fear not thou worm Jacob, behold I will make you a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and beat them small, and shall make the hills as chaff. The scripture explains that those who will humble themselves will eventually be exalted. But those who stand in pride, exalt themselves, will fall. In Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 it is written, For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. 
Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, and little children by nature are willing to trust with a pure and innocent heart, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased or brought low, and he that will humble himself will ultimately be exalted. We see that Yeshua humbled himself, didn't seek to do his own will, but the will of his Father, and by first humbling himself, he was exalted and raised to glory, and is sitting at the right hand of his Father. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it is written, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In James chapter 4, verse 10, it is written, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it is written, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. In Midrash Rabbah, Leviticus 28.2, it explains how the Omer, in going through its process to ultimately become fine flour, was parched in fire. Rabbi Abin said, Come and observe how much anxiety Israel experienced on the count of the commandment of the sheaf. The sages, however, say they used to thresh it. It was placed in a tube. This tube had holes in it so that the fire could get at it. Fire in the scriptures represents, on the negative side, judgment, on the positive side, refinement and purification, which is linked to sanctification and holiness, and fire also represents the trials and tribulations of our faith. So let's look at these things. Fire in the Bible is associated with judgment. In Genesis chapter 19 verse 24 it is written, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. In Exodus chapter 9 verse 23 it is written, And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. In Jeremiah chapter 52 verse 13 it is written, And burned the house of the Lord, that is the temple, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, and all the houses of the great men, burned he with fire. We see how the ultimate judgment of the devil in Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 is to be cast into the lake of fire. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So fire represents as well in our personal lives the process where we crucify the flesh, that is the desires to sin and the things that cause us to be a servant to sin that when the flesh dies, it elevates the spirit that seeks to pursue godliness in the ways of the kingdom of heaven. So just as fire causes the impurities to come out of literal physical silver and gold, fire in the Bible represents refinement and purification. In Psalm chapter 12 verse 6 it is written, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. 
In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9, it is written, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried, and they will call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, it is written, And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer for under the Lord an offering in righteousness. Fire also is associated with the trials and the tribulations of our faith. When we hear the word of God, we are to believe the word of God, and the word of God is sown into our hearts. Well, as we just shared in Psalm chapter 12, verse 6, the word of the Lord is tried. So when we receive and embrace the word of God in our hearts and seek to live out his word in our lives, that word is going to be tried and tested, just like the children of Israel were tried in the wilderness. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it is written, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Messiah Yeshua. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it is written, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, which means trials or tribulations, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience or perseverance or endurance that is you hold on to the god of israel through your trials and tribulations and you hold on to his promises through the trying and the testing of them. Now, James chapter 1, verse 12, it is written, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, meaning trials and tribulations, that is, of his faith. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those that love him. So in the literal process of what happened to the Omer, it was tossed in the wind. Midrash Rabbah, Leviticus 28.2, Rabbi Abin said, Come and observe how much anxiety Israel experienced on the account of the commandment of the sheaf. The sages or the rabbis say they used to thresh it, then they spread it out in the temple courtyard, and the wind blew upon it. So once again, this is what Paul was referring to in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, when he speaks about young believers in Yeshua, that they not be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. So now let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, verse 11, verses 13 and 14, as it is written. Wherefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers, till we all come to the unity of the faith. You might see this as until the omer becomes fine flour, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or whole or complete man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. So spiritually, as sheaves, until we come to the fine flour, we go through the process wherein, Paul says, we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So now let's go back and look at the Midrash Rabbah Leviticus 28.2 in greater detail. Rabbi Abin said, Come and observe how much anxiety Israel experienced on the account of the commandment of the sheaf. 
For we have learned elsewhere, referring to Menahot 66a, they cut it down, placed it in a basket, brought it to the temple courtyard, and parched it at the fire, in order to comply with the law requiring it to be offered parched. The rabbis say they used to thresh it first with reeds and stalks of plants, so that it might not be reduced in quantity, it was placed in a tube. This tube had holes in it so that the fire could get at it. Then they spread it out in the temple courtyard, and the wind blew upon it, and then they brought it to the grist grinder's mill. So then, ultimately, the omer was ground into fine flour. Quoting from Mishnah Menahot 10, 1-5, If the barley was ripe, it was taken from the vicinity of Jerusalem. Otherwise, it could be brought from anywhere in Israel. It was reaped by three men, each with his own skith and basket. The grain was then brought to the temple where it was threshed, parched, spread on the courtyard floor to be dried by the wind, milled, and ground into fine flour. Spiritually, fine flour represents refinement, purification, and being made white. And white in the Bible is a color that is associated with righteousness. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 10, it is written, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. In Daniel chapter 12 verse 10, it is written, And many shall be purified and be made white and tried. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 5, Yeshua made this promise, He that overcomes the same will be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So in the process of becoming fine flour, the barley went through 13 sieves. Once again, we're going to share with you from the Mishnah Menahot 10, 1 to 5. If the barley was ripe, it was taken from the vicinity of Jerusalem. Otherwise, it could be brought from anywhere in Israel. The grain was then brought to the temple where it was threshed, parched, spread on the courtyard floor to be dried by the wind, milled, and ground into fine flour. It was then sifted through 13 sieves. So what's the significance or the spiritual meaning and application of the 13 sieves? Well, the Hebrew word achad consists of three Hebrew letters. Since Hebrew is read from right to left, the first letter is an aleph. It has a numerical value of one. The second letter is the het. It has a numerical value of eight. And the third letter is the dalet, and it has a numerical value of four. So if you add up the numerical value of the Hebrew word achad, it is 13. So the 13 sieves spiritually represents unity or oneness. When the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai, at Mount Sinai, when they pitched their camps, they were all in unity with each other. We can see this from Exodus chapter 19 verse 2 as it is written. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. So let's examine this verse more closely in the Hebrew. The phrase Israel camped does not say the Yahanu, which would mean they, the children of Israel, camped, but Va Yahan, singular, he camped. In other words, the God of Israel and his presence was with his people. So the God of Israel was one with his people. In the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we are told that the people who gathered there were as one. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it is written, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Well, that's going to conclude part 10 of the series on the subject, Our Spiritual Journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.